May the fourth be with you. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Old Camera Guy podcast. Shout out to all my Star Wars nerds out there. I'm looking at you, Mario Piper. My name is Dave Mahali, and I'm taking over the Negative Positives Film Photography podcast feed again. And as part of this listener takeover, I'm going to go ahead and take over the Negative Positives format and talk about what I've done, photographically speaking, recently. Now, I have no idea when this podcast is going to be released. Uh, as you're listening to this, it could be 2024, I could be dead and buried. But as I'm recording this, I have been all about beers and cameras. Now, I'm talking about the meetups that started in California have been slowly creeping across the country. Trevor Lee and the good folks at the Dark Room sponsored the first ever beers and cameras event in Ohio on March 31st at the Great Lakes Brewing Company in Cleveland, Ohio, which is about two hours north of me. In addition to Trev, the special guests at this meetup were most of the crew from the FPP, Mike Rosso, John Fideli, Matt Marash, Mark O'Brien, Owen McCafferty. Everybody had a blast hanging out and nerding out over cameras. Shout out to Trev and the FPP crew and all the people I met. Sam, Kevin, Simon, Jim, Joe, Brad, Roberto, Rich. They're planning on having more beers and cameras events all around Ohio in Toledo, Columbus, Cincinnati. Uh, I'm going to try to make it to as many as I can. Now, the Cleveland Beers and Cameras, again, was only about a two-hour drive each way, but I'm also gearing up for a Beers and Cameras event in Chicago, which is about a six-hour drive. My wife's coming along for this one. As you're listening to this, I'm sure this event has already happened, and I'm sure we had a great time. Special guests at this one include Trev Lee, again, and YouTube photographers Jason from Grainy Days, Caleb from Bad Flashes, Taylor Pendleton from Grain Check, Sissy Lou from Underdeveloped, and Jonathan Paragas, a.k.a. King Japes. This event was a great reason to go to Chicago, but let's face it, between the world-class museums, Portillo's, and Lou Malnati's, you don't exactly have to twist my arm to get me to go to Chicago. I mentioned in the Old Camera Guy podcast number two that I had a trip to Chicago planned in March as well, which is a great trip. I got to shoot a crap ton of Portra 800 in my Canon Rebel Ti, a roll of Fuji Superior 400 in my Lomo Apparat, and a roll of Luminar 100 in my Rebel T2. I've already released two YouTube videos featuring these Portra 800 rolls, a video all about the Luminar 100, and I've got another Lomo Apparat video on the way. One other really cool thing happened recently. I've been shooting a Minolta Maxim HCSI Plus camera for the Frugal Film Project this year, and after I posted a couple videos about that Maxim camera, friend of the channel Angus McNaughton reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to add to my Maxim arsenal. Of course, having over 100 film cameras already, I did the responsible thing and told him I didn't need any more and politely declined his offer of sending me another Maxim camera. No, I'm just kidding. I told Angus I would gladly accept any photographic goodness he wanted to send my way. And man, did he deliver. Angus ended up sending me a whole kit, a bodacious low-pro camera bag, autofocus Minolta Maxim 450 SI SLR, couple of autofocus zoom lenses he sent me all this out of the goodness of his heart and honestly i'm still blown away by his generosity so again big thanks to angus mcnaughton all right that about wraps up what i've been up to lately now it's time for today's topic something that really hasn't gotten much attention in the film community and that is rising film prices all right i'm kidding yes that's all anybody's been talking about and maybe i'm beating a dead horse here uh, every time I hear that expression, I, I think of the Godfather scene with John Marley and the horse's head in the bed. You know, 
I think I referenced The Godfather in the last podcast too, but in fairness, I am half Italian, so The Godfather kind of looms large in my family. Matter of fact, when my wife and I started dating, she found out I was Italian and went home and watched The Godfather, I guess, to figure out what made me tick. Uh, I had to explain to her that not all Italians are in the Mafia, although I do have a cousin who may or may not be in the import-export business. My boss, who is 100% Italian, comes from Steubenville, Ohio, where Dean Martin came from, outside of Youngstown, and, well, he could tell you some stories. And none of this has anything to do with film photography. Okay, so film prices. You'd have to be living under a rock to not have noticed the rise in film prices. There's no denying it. There's no reversing it. Doesn't help that much to complain about it, really. So there's only one thing left that we can do, and that is deal with it. Now, that can mean a lot of different things. I'm not saying we just fork over all our cash, buy film, and keep shooting the same as we always have, like nothing has changed. I think for a lot of us, the increase in the cost of film is going to affect how we shoot. The most extreme example of this is that some people may stop shooting film altogether. And I don't want to be insensitive to this. Some people living paycheck to paycheck may not be able to absorb any more cost and may have to drop out and not shoot any more film. Shooting film is a luxury and with each price increase becomes even more of a luxury. So again, the extremes and how we deal with the rising cost of film are not changing our shooting habits at all or stop shooting film altogether. Now, I've got a gut feeling that tells me most of us are not going to fall into either one of those extremes, but instead end up probably somewhere in the middle. If we're really feeling the squeeze of increased prices and it's getting harder for shooting film in our regular fashion, one of the obvious ways to help reduce our cost is to shoot less film. If you're shooting three rolls a month, maybe cut back to two or even one. Save film for special shots, special occasions. It's a little bit like how we used to treat Polaroids when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s. We would only shoot Polaroids for special occasions, uh, weddings, graduations, that kind of thing. Each Polaroid was about a dollar a shot, which can add up pretty quickly. And we really had to be choosy with what was deemed worthy of a Polaroid. So these days, maybe save your film for those special occasions, special trips, and capture everyday stuff on your phone. You know, most of us have smartphones, and the cameras in these have gotten pretty good. Perfect for everyday snapshots. A lot of them are great for night shooting. I'm still using an iPhone XR from 2018, and the camera does a great job. Plus, it's always with me, ready to take a shot anytime. Now, if you don't want to use your phone and still want to reduce your film use, you could turn to a digicam. I'm talking about those mid-2000s point-and-shoots with single-digit megapixels. Usually pretty compact. Some of the older ones have CCD sensors. A lot of people love the way those old CCD sensors render colors. Newer ones may have CMOS sensors, and there's nothing wrong with those either. Digicams have a couple things going for them. You can find a lot of them for pretty cheap, although that is changing. As Digicams have been gaining popularity, the Digicam market is heating up and the prices are starting to rise. It seems like everybody's talking about these little digicams lately. They're getting almost as popular as APS at this point, but you can still find some that are not super expensive. The other thing about a digicam is that it is a dedicated device that does one thing. It's a standalone thing that is a camera. It takes pictures. It's not a phone. It doesn't multitask. So if you like taking your pictures on a real camera, it does check that box. Now, I'm not saying it's the same as shooting a film camera. I have fun shooting digicams, but for me, they definitely don't replace shooting film cameras. I see them more like supplementing my film shooting. 
So film prices in general have gone up, but so far we haven't really addressed the elephant in the room, and that is Kodak. The last several years have seen pretty substantial increases in the prices of Kodak film in particular. So maybe one way to deal with or avoid some of these price increases is to quit shooting Kodak film, but that might be easier said than done for a few reasons. First of all, there's a lot of Kodak film out there that doesn't even bear the Kodak name. A lot of Sinistos offerings, including 800T, are sourced from Kodak. Some of Lomography's films are widely believed to be from Kodak too. There's been a lot of chatter about some 200-speed Fuji film being Kodak also. So avoiding Kodak film is not as easy as you might think. Now, where I live in Ohio, I can still find Fuji Superior 400 at my local Meyer store for about eight bucks a roll. I know Fuji's left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths for the way they've discontinued film stocks and just kind of treat film as an afterthought, except for their Instax film, which is still pretty popular around the world. Hey, Fuji's a business. They're making money on all kinds of other stuff, so film is just not their focus. And Stephen Dowling over Cosmo Photo reported that it's getting harder and harder to get Fuji color film in Japan. We'll see if that trickles down to the rest of the world, too. So if Kodak's pricing themselves out of the market and Fujifilm's getting harder to find, what's a film shooter to do? Well, how about shoot black and white? Or at least shoot less color film and maybe shift more towards black and white film. With black and white film, you're not beholden to Kodak or Fuji. There's a lot of great black and white film stocks out there, and by and large, most of the black and white stocks didn't go up as much in price as their color counterparts. Ilford's prices are up, but from what I've seen, not as much as Kodak's. I've shot a lot more Ilford HP5 Plus than I have Kodak Tri-X, partly because HP5 Plus costs less, but also because for me, in my environment, HP5 dries a lot flatter than Tri-X. Every roll of Tri-X I've developed has cupped and curled and has just been a mess to scan. Your environment, your humidity may be different, but for me, that curling and cupping is a deal breaker. If you don't develop or scan yourself, then that's probably a non-issue. I'm probably going to use my phone to handle more of the color shots I want to take and keep shooting black and white film pretty consistently. For several years, my workhorse black and white film has been Ilford HP5+. It's pretty versatile, it's consistent, and it just works. But the last few years, I've explored more budget black and white films as part of my participation in the Frugal Film Project. Now, the Frugal Film Project was started by Sherry Christensen as a way to celebrate the fact that you don't always need fancy, expensive gear to create high-quality, meaningful photography. In addition to finding cheap cameras to use, Sherry also encourages you to find the cheapest film you can find, too. That led me to seek out budget black and white films like Kent Mirror from Ilford. I can get Kent Mirror Pan 100 and Pan 400 35mm and now 120 for $5 and change a roll at one of my local stores, Midwest Photo. Kent Mirror, again, is from Harmon slash Ilford, a reputable company. And it's good stuff. If you develop it at home, you can knock off a roll of 36 exposures and 35mm for around 6 bucks. If you use a lab for developing, it's obviously going to cost you more, but you're doing your part to help keep those labs in business, which is definitely a good thing. Another great budget option is the FOMA family of films. You can get FOMA Pan 100, 200, and 400 in the 5 or $6 range, too. FOMA film is available under a bunch of rebadged or rebranded names, too. At the time I'm recording this, you can get a 36 exposure roll of one of these FOMA rebrands, Arista EDU Ultra 100, for $4.89 at Midwest Photo. This one's not DX coded, so keep that in mind if you need that DX code. Another way to save money on film is to start bulk rolling. I don't bulk roll yet, but it can be a great way to save some dough. Plus, if you struggle to get through a 36 exposure roll and it takes you forever to shoot it, you can always choose to do shorter rolls with a bulk roller. 
Now, if you want to continue to shoot color film and still want to save a few bucks, you can shoot motion picture film like the Kodak Vision films. I'm talking about the ones that still have that carbon remjet layer on them. They're cheaper than movie stock that's had the remjet removed like Cinestill and Reflex, but you've got to deal with the remjet in the developing process. So I didn't want this to be an angry old man rant. I'm not boycotting Kodak or color film. Matter of fact, I just bought a couple more rolls of Kodak portrait shoot in Chicago and a couple rolls of Cinestill 800T for some of those beers and cameras events I mentioned earlier. If you can't make rent, well, maybe you shouldn't be spending a bunch of dough on film. I'm not suggesting you spend your last dollar to keep these film companies afloat, but if you can afford it, I think it's important for us to buy fresh film now and then to help keep it available for years to come. Although realistically, the people keeping film going are not so much the casual still shooters like us, but the Tarantinos and the Scorseses in the motion picture industry. Still, when we buy our rolls of film, every little bit helps. The last bit of perspective I'll offer here is this. As an old guy born in the 60s, grew up in the 70s and 80s, and has shot film pretty regularly since the 90s, my take on things is this. Film might seem pretty expensive now, but you know what? If you take cost of living and inflation into account, film's always been expensive. This is not a new thing. Except for a period maybe a decade ago where we got spoiled by low film prices, we always had to pay a pretty good amount for film back in the day. Kodachrome wasn't cheap, you know what I mean? So the film market was probably due for a correction. I know in some cases there's been probably an overcorrection, but hobbies and passions are expensive. Honestly, these days everything's expensive. I don't have any other vices. I don't really drink. I don't really gamble, unless you call film swaps or film soup gambling. So I spend my disposable income on film photography and I'm at peace with that. And my wife's okay with it too, so bonus. If you want to check out some of my cheap photography, you can find me on YouTube at The Old Camera Guy. I've got over 240 videos all about film photography with many more to come. I'm going to leave you with the music of Mike Gutterman, which you can find at mikegutterman.bandcam.com. Until next time, do some good, have some fun, and shoot some film if you can afford it.
listening to this listener takeover edition of the Negative Positives Podcast. If you would like to take over the Negative Positives Podcast and have your very own episode, it's very simple. Just talk about anything in your film photography journey and send that audio file to the email address negpositives at gmail.com. That is N-E-G positives at gmail.com. You can also join our Facebook group, the Negative Positives Film Photo Podcast Facebook group. We have an Instagram account under the account name Negative Positives. If you submit photos to Instagram, think about using the hashtag Negative Positives. And you can support this program on Coffee. That is ko-fi.com slash negative positives. Everybody stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. Gutter Man Cave Production!